Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It is ranked the number one company in Google for New Jersey SEO companies and New Jersey internet marketing. Today's podcast is part seven of the Walking Backwards series. John is teaching Sunday mornings at Church in the Woods at Freedom Ranch. Without further delay, listen in on Walking Backwards, part seven. Okay, church, it's time to go to work. I call it work, but it's really not work. Sometimes, uh, you know, people ask, what do preachers do? And I said, well, they only work one day a week, right? Yeah. No better now. But this I enjoy. This is a good part, really. Especially what we've been focused our attention on here lately and what we've been studying. I call it walking backwards. Which is really just walking like Jesus walked when he was here on earth. In a lifestyle of grace and truth. Now by now, if you've been following along in our series, you're... You probably realize that walking backwards is not only difficult naturally, but it's also somewhat complicated. And I began to think about, you know, what it was, what it meant actually to walk backwards like Jesus, or to walk like Jesus did. And I started thinking of it in terms of you know, the various activities, behaviors we might engage in and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And it got way too complicated for me. But I was thinking naturally. Early on in my ministry, I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to walk like Jesus did, if I'm going to walk backwards, then I'm going to have to figure out all the things to do and all the things not to do to be like Jesus. And that just blew my mind. In the first place, I couldn't think of all the things to do or not do to be like Jesus. You know, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just read the Bible and read what Jesus did and what He said and, you know, kind of mimic that in my life, and that would be like walking like Jesus. But that was way too complicated. Way too complicated. I wasn't smart enough to even attempt that. But what gave me more consolation than anything early on? What gave me more encouragement? And to this day, it gives me encouragement to walk backwards or 
to live like Jesus. Is the end goal, the ultimate objective of a lifestyle of grace and truth, walking just like Jesus walked. I figured, you know, at least I know what the end goal is. How to get there, I'm not sure, but I know what the end goal is. And that end goal is clearly revealed in the Scriptures. There's not a, any question or doubt about it. It's clearly revealed in the Scriptures. And especially announced by Jesus Himself on the night before He was crucified in the upper room when He told His disciples to love one another just like He loved them. It's the end goal. The end goal is for us to love other people like Christ. So if you want to know whether you're walking in grace or in truth or not, if you want to know whether you're living like Jesus or not in this world, in this life, then you've got to ask yourself, am I loving other people like Christ? Is that my objective in life? Is that my goal? on a daily basis, to love others, just like Jesus did. Now, the thing that really encouraged me was the fact that when you make that choice to love others like Jesus, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit Jesus had on Him, works in you to accomplish very now, I don't know why this microphone's going in and out, but I can hear it going in and out. Can you guys hear it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe the battery's dead or dying. If it is, you guys are going to have to bunch up. I'll stand on a table and yell at you, all right? Because I want you to understand, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this walking backwards is a lot easier than you think. It's a lot simpler. I've always heard, and I'm sure it's true, that the most profound things in life are simple. They're not complicated. They're simple. And there's nothing more profound than being able to love other people like Jesus did. Okay, that's about as profound as it gets. And so I'm encouraged to know that it's a simple thing. What I set as my goal, this years ago, when I was first struggling with this, was to be able to love other people like Christ. Now, the New Testament is filled with various commands, exhortations, etc., all headed towards that same goal. Did you know that? In every book or letter of the New Testament, every one of them, there is a major passage of Scripture devoted to describing how we relate to each other. In every book or letter. I call these the one another passages, right? Of course, we've already talked about loving one another. 
but there's also forgiving one another and honor preferring one another. There's a lot of one another passages in the Scriptures, major passages, that all describe some facet, some angle of loving others like Christ. And so when you begin to organize this in your thinking, you begin to realize that really the objective of our lives is simply to love other people like Christ. That's the objective. Now, I'm not saying that's simple necessarily because it requires the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. But I'm saying in our minds as we organize and wrap our minds around what it means to walk like Jesus walked on this earth, it all boils down to simply being able to love others. Now, it's easy for us to say, okay, we're going to love others like Christ. However, doing that is a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Hmm? See, I've known over the years that I was supposed to love other people like Christ. That's the new commandment Jesus gave, right? And it's reinforced by all those one another passages in the Scriptures. And I've known that all my ministry. What I haven't known exact is exactly how you do that. See, our knowledge of good and evil, which is the contrasting lifestyle, remember? There's a lifestyle of grace and truth we're trying to learn about, but the natural lifestyle we're born into and we grow up in and we're conditioned by is law and lies or deception. We're all used to that. We've all been conditioned by that. And our natural lifestyle of law and lies distorts our relationships. See, you don't want to be related to somebody that you judge as being unworthy. You don't want to be around somebody that you have condemned by your knowledge of good and evil. You want to avoid them, if not actively seek to eliminate them. Okay. See, that's natural. That's how we naturally relate to one another. Through a system of comparisons, by comparing ourselves to others, and with our own knowledge of what's right and wrong, we constantly determine in our minds whether that person deserves to be loved or not. And right there we fall out of the, the whole system. Because you see, loving others like Christ is not about whether they deserve it or not. <laughs> okay? That's not how Jesus loved. In fact, He loved unconditionally those people who did not deserve it in displaying God's love for us. As Paul tells us in Romans, God proved His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, totally dysfunctional, in the darkness, caught up in a quagmire of sin, 
He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us to eliminate our sin problem. So our natural thinking, the natural way we've been conditioned is to judge according to our own knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, whether someone deserves to be loved or not. And when we determine, according to our knowledge of good and evil, that they're worthless and not deserving of love, we don't love them. Now that's the polite way of saying it. What really happens is we hate them. I know, I've tried this weasel clause myself, and I've heard it said by many Christians, well, I don't really hate them, you know. I've just been mad at them for the last 30 years. Listen, that natural conditioning you've had in the flesh, the Bible refers to as sin that dwells within these bodies of ours. That natural conditioning gets offended easily. Did you know that? Yeah. If someone disappoints you, you know, doesn't follow through on what they said they were going to do for you, never mind tries to hurt you or abuse you in some way, that natural conditioning you've been raised up with, that flesh, immediately hates them and seeks revenge and plots to kill them. Whether you recognize that what you're doing or not, that's what's happening. See, hatred is the natural result of the flesh being let down or disappointed in some way. Did you know that? And that hatred is going to be directed relationally towards other people and even towards God. That's our natural condition. And the biggest obstacle we face to walking like Jesus walked in this world. Now, if anybody had a right to be offended... It was Jesus, okay? I mean, think about it. He made the world. He created all of this. In Him was life. He's the author and the origin of it. The Creator. And yet, when He came into this world, the world didn't recognize Him. They didn't receive Him. They rejected Him. Now, I don't know about you all, but that would offend me. Wouldn't it you? Wouldn't you be offended? See, Jesus had a reason to be offended. Never mind all the little details that are revealed to us in the Gospel accounts of His life on this earth. Never mind the fact that people were trying to kill Him all the time. They called Him all kinds of names. They slandered him. They were stabbing him in the back constantly. If anybody had a right to be offended and hate, it was Jesus. 
But you remember what he did when they crucified him? When they stretched his arms and legs out to be nailed to that cross? You remember what he prayed? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, that's love. That's what love looks like. Now, we've learned in our natural conditioning also to love with the humanistic love, you know, the, our human love. And that means we love those who love us back, which means that basically we love to be loved by others. That's natural. But that's not the love of Jesus. It's natural love. We also love when it's convenient for us to love. You know, if it doesn't cost us too much, if we don't have to spend too much time, energy, and money, we'll do acts of kindness and call it love. But if it costs us a sacrifice, mm-mm. Nope, we're not going to love. We also love in the sense that we are trying, and this fits into another category of our dysfunction in the flesh, we also love others by trying to make them feel good. See, that's romantic love. You're doing and saying things that you think are going to make that person feel good. And we call that love. That's not love. That's not God's love. Love does what is best for that other person. What's best? Not necessarily will it make them feel good. As you've already experienced with the Father's love for you, He doesn't make you feel good all the time, does He? Mm -mm. That's His love. So this idea about love can get complicated, but the one thing that solidifies it all for me, and I hope it will help you, is to realize that it is our objective to love others. Now, also in that same context in which Jesus gave us that new command to love. And by the way, you all know why, it was called, why he called it a new command? See, the Old Testament Scriptures under the law commanded that you love your brother as yourself. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the law commanded. So to love other people is not new. Well, it made this a new commandment? It's the manner in which you are to love. Jesus said, as I have loved you. That qualifies it. The way you're to love is with divine love, with God's love. Not with a humanistic effort on our own, but with God's power and His love. So I don't want you to confuse what we're talking about here when we're talking about walking like Jesus. I'm not talking about playing some kind of religious game. 
There are a lot of people who do that. They think being religious is loving God and loving other people. It's not. No, in fact, religion opposes loving other people. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. And it prevents you from loving other people. In a multitude of ways we generally don't recognize. So what we're really talking about here is, and I'm just going to read one verse to you. Uh, We'll talk about some others here, but this just kind of summarizes the topic we're on right now. Actually, it's two verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul writes here. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So what's he telling us here? I want to zero in, of course, on walking like Jesus, so he's telling us to walk in love, the very thing we're talking about. But I want you to see what's required to do that, or at least begin to describe that for you today. What's required for you to walk in love is what he first referred to in verse 1 as being an imitator of God who is love. He said, be like God. Man, be like God. See, when we think about being like God, we think of all the power and telling people what to do and authority and control. No, no. God is love. Be like God. He is love. As dear children. See, here's the first thing that we've got to wrap our minds around in order to be able to love like Christ. We've got to understand this whole concept of God's love. He Himself is love. I remember when it dawned on me some years ago that where God was, and you all just sang a song about that, where's God? Where God was in Vietnam. Where was he? I didn't see him. Oh, I saw him, but I didn't recognize him. That's where I would say. And it dawned on me years later. Where he was, was in the love between the soldiers. That's where God was. Because God is love. Where he was, was in the love that would cause one man to lay down his life for another. That's where God was. He was slap dab in the middle of it. So as dear children, as those who are loved of God, we imitate God in loving others. That's why he says walk in love here. Now, when I think about this, the most important character I think of when you talk about the subject of love and walking in love is 
the disciple John, guy that wrote his Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Did you know what he refers to himself as? If you've read his general letters, this is how John refers to himself. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Doesn't that sound kind of prideful? I mean, it, 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 all, it almost sounds like what he's saying is the only disciple that Jesus loved, right? Or the best disciple that Jesus loved. No, that's not, what he, that's not how he uses it. It's not a statement of pride. I believe it was a statement of astonishment. Of sheer awe that Jesus loved him. So he referred to himself as the one who Jesus loved, or the beloved. And in his first general letter, he tells us two conditions that I'm going to rehearse with you today, and we'll talk about more later. For you to be able to love like Jesus. Two basic fundamental conditions that need to be met for you to be able to love. Two requirements, if you will, for you to be able to love. Number one, first of all, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God. Born of God. What does that mean? It means you have a new life, a new identity. Being born of God changes you radically on the inside. You're no longer the same person you used to be. Why? Because you're born of God. You were born of a woman, your mother, to begin with, but now you are born again, born of God. Same thing Jesus told Nicodemus, that religious ruler in Israel. He said, you need to be born again. So that's the first requirement, being born again. You've got to be born again in order to love like Christ. Because when you're born again, you have this new identity in Christ that gives you the ability to love like Christ. Also, you have become partakers of the divine nature, which is love. The divine nature of God is love. And so you receive this love when you're born of God. But uh, John didn't stop there. That's the first requirement. And that's a pretty easy one, really. All you need to do is believe on Jesus. Believe, accept His love for you. You're born of God. The second requirement in order for you to be able to love other people is a little more difficult. Although it's exciting and just as rewarding as being born of God, John goes on to say not only does everyone who loves is born of God, but also knows God intimately and personally. He didn't say knows about God. Now, let's, let's see if we can identify practically the problem we're facing here. Have you ever known anybody besides yourself, of course? We're going to leave you out of this, right? 
but you've known somebody that was born of God. They're a Christian. But they're still as mean as a snake. Have you known anybody like that besides yourself now? Hmm? Of course you have. I think the the abundance of that problem is what prompted the bumper sticker I, I saw on a car that said, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Hmm? Yeah. They're born of God. But they don't know Him. They know about Him. But they don't know Him personally, intimately. See, this is the kind of relationship that God wants with all of us. It's a close, personal, intimate relationship. Jesus put it this way in, in that Upper Room Discourse. That same context in which he gave us the new command, he put it this way. He says, Now, if you love me and I love you and you love the Father who sent me, the Father and I will come and live with you. You want to get to know somebody? Live with them, right? This is what people try all the time to get to know each other. Well, let's let's live together. You want to figure out all the ins and outs of their personality? You want to see all their little quirks and all that? Just live with them for a couple months and see what happens in your relationship. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was telling us. He and the Father, through the Spirit, are going to live with us. Why? So we can know Him. So we can have this close, intimate, personal relationship. Another way of describing that that I found useful for me is that when you have an intimate relationship with someone, it's all about having your needs met and having their needs met. So an intimate relationship with God is learning how it is that God is continually making you worthy. How is He continually giving you a sense of security? Telling you everything's cool. How is He expressing continuously His love for you? His forgiveness? His power. You see, when we receive that from God, we know we're secure. Our personal need is met. He continually makes us important. Did you know that? Yeah. You're not just important. You're a VIP. He makes you gives your life meaning and purpose. There's a reason for your existence. A reason for you being here. And He gives you the power, the adequacy you need 
to accomplish that purpose. That makes you a worthwhile person who is worthy. Who does that? God does that. Now I know under our natural conditioning, we don't look to God to do that. We look to everybody else to do that. We look to the opinion of man. We look to the approval of others. We look to our circumstances. We look to our own performance and our own abilities. Not to God. When you're all wrapped up in looking at your own performance, your own abilities, you miss God making you worthy. You miss knowing God personally and intimately. But the other side of that in this relationship you have with God is that you do something for God. Did you know that? Yeah, you do. He loves you. And He's excited to hang out with you. To talk with you. To hear from you. You are God's inheritance. Did you know that? Yeah. You are what God gets out of this business. So you're not only being satisfied by God, but you are satisfying God as well. That's an intimate, personal knowledge of God. And it's ongoing. It's not just a one-shot deal every now and then. It's not even a one-shot deal at a Bible study or church service on a weekly basis. No, it's a continuous daily thing where you know God personally, intimately. I've heard it described by other people as when they see events out in their life going on they, and transpire, they, they say sometimes, well, I see God's fingerprints all over that. Okay, what are they talking about? They're talking about the recognition that God is at work and they see it. That's knowing Him personally. You see Him work. You put it together. You know Him personally. And so whoever's going to love like Christ is going to have to be born of God and know Him. Now John goes on in that context, to, and it gives me some relief. He goes on in that context to say, whoever does not love knows not God. He didn't say, whoever does not love is not born of God. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? <laughs> See, when we are born of God, we have His nature. And as we begin to know Him and develop that intimate personal relationship with Him, Love flows freely from us to others. It's not an effort on our part. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's not something we have to do. It's not a religious ritual we have to perform. It's natural. It's supernatural, you could say. It just flows from you. And it's not an effort on your part to love others, to forgive them, 
to accept them. It's not an effort on your part to respect them, to encourage them, to support them. That's not an effort. That's a pleasure. That's fun. That's good. When you're loving like Christ. So this is what we're being called to here. We're being called to this walking backwards business all focuses down in on how you're going to love other people like Christ. Everything else comes back down to this. And as we continue in our study, we're going to see more and more connections along this line throughout the Scriptures in those various passages that talk about how we live our life. We're going to see other facets of this, but the most central, the most important facet is to love others. Now again, we've got a problem with that. Those who are born of God are the children of God. Those children of God who are not loving others like Christ are not loving others because they don't know God. Those children of God who do not know God are like the Corinthians that Paul wrote to, that first letter of rebuke, when he says, I'd like to talk to you as spiritual, but I can't. I've got to talk to you as carnal because you are like babies. You can't take the strong meat or the solid food. You've got to have milk still. What did he mean by that? What he meant is it's possible for you to be born of the Spirit, be born of God, and not care about anybody. Not love anybody. That's possible. And when that happens, and the only person you're continuously caring about is you, you're no longer a child. Well, you're still a child of God. I'm not going to call you a baby. And instead, I'll call you what you really are, a brat. And God has a lot of brats. Did you know that? Hmm? Yeah, He does. A lot of brats out there. Why? Because they don't know how to love others like Christ. They're still just as self-centered as they were before they were born again in their everyday life. Still, the only person they're thinking about is themselves and how they're going to get ahead and what they're going to get out of it. They haven't got time to think about anybody else. Now, there's hope for brats. Did you know that? Thankfully, I was a brat because here's the disguise that brats operate under, and I'm not going to elaborate on this, but I just want to tack it on for you. Here's the disguise brats operate under. Religion. Babes pretending they know God when they don't and practicing all kinds of rituals. And if you don't practice their rituals, you're going to be like the Corinthians. There's going to be jealousies, strife, and divisions among you. Your relationship's going to fall apart. Now, when that happens, and it does, when it happens, there is a remedy. See, I was a brat at one point in time in my ministry. And you, you think it's a tough being a brat and not being a preacher. Try to be a brat and a preacher at the same time. It's tough. 
I was a brat because I was still self-centered. I was trying to find what God wanted me to do to make me look good. God, tell me what to do so I can look good. I even wanted to win souls to Jesus so I could carve another notch on my gospel gun. So I could get a attaboy from God and approval of my religious cronies. See all that motivation? All that motivation is not what we were talking about last week is the motivation being love. All that's religious performance. Putting on the dog. Playing a game. That's how brats cover up their brathood. Okay, by pretending to be religious. But there is hope. Paul went through that very thing. At the epitome of, of him being a brat, he actually murdered Christians. How did he get out of it? By grace through faith. In other words, it's not something you're going to do or not do to love other people. It's going to be something that God does to you and through you. Milk of the Word is everything that God has done for you. The meat of the Word is what God is going to do through you and is doing through you right now to love other people. So we're not focused on our milk, even though I have to keep coming back and giving you all a little sip of milk every week. We're not focused on milk now. What we're focused on is meat, the meat of the Word. How is God going to use you to care about and love other people? How does He do that? He says that's what it's going to take for us to walk like Jesus, for us to walk backwards. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, you guys going to get the communion? Go ahead while I pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You for the privilege that we have to even consider walking like Your Son, Jesus. To even think about that being possible. To actually walk, live our lives like He did in the power and the glory of His life. And I thank You for that, Father, that You give us that privilege. And I ask You, if it be possible now, for You to continue to teach us according to Your will and Your purpose in our lives. Each one of us uniquely, where we can understand it and know it's You, teaching us how to love one another. Teaching us how to live like Your Son, Jesus. I thank You, Father, for that privilege and for the knowledge of knowing Your Spirit is at work in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I've alluded to this new commandment, walking like Christ and loving others. Where that was given was in the upper room on the night before Jesus was crucified to His disciples. But there was also something else He did in that upper room that I want all of us to participate in today. And... He actually initiated 
communion, what we call communion, or the Lord's Supper. He started it right there. And He did it for us. For our admonition, for our learning, for our instruction. To remind us, as often as we do it, of the source of power and strength we have to walk like Jesus. You see, that night before He was crucified, when He established this meal, He had to deal with the natural human frailties of His disciples who were petrified. They were scared to death. They were nervous. They had no clue of what was going to happen to Him. And Jesus said, I'm leaving you. And I want you to stay here and love others like I do. These poor guys, man, they didn't stand a chance, did they? And so he went on to encourage them. He encouraged them with this. He says, I'm going to send you a comforter who will be with you just like I've been with you. And that comforter will teach you and guide you into all truth. Remind you and make it real to you. And that comforter he calls the Spirit of Truth. Now he noted that the world can't see the Spirit of Truth. When you look around here today, naturally you can't see the Spirit of Truth, but I'll guarantee you He's here. He's in you, working in you, in me. So even though we can't see Him, that Spirit of Truth is here. The Comforter is here. And in that, He prepared them for this communion that we're about to receive. This fellowship ordinance, or as it's sometimes referred to, this Last Supper, Lord's Supper it's called, is a time of intimate fellowship with the Lord. Did you know that? Now think about it. When you want to get to know somebody, you know what I have to do? I have to sit down and eat supper with you. You know that? Or at least drink a cup of coffee with you or something, right? If I'm going to get to know you, I've got to spend time with you. Well, that's what this fellowship meal is all about. It's about spending time with God to get to know Him at a meal. Now, I, I don't think it was an accident that He chose this meal, this, quote, imaginary meal or symbolic meal that we're about to eat because it's a time where you have fellowship with one another. You don't just go around eating with anybody, do you? No. You eat with the people you're close to. I see that every time we have a meal here, you know, in church in the woods. People will go get their stuff and then they'll come back and they'll sit down. Where are they going to sit? With the people they know. Okay. With their fellowship group. That's fine. That Why are they doing that? Because they have that level of relationship already established. And the meal they're about to eat is 
a symbol of that. And they share it together. Well, that's what Jesus was doing on that night when He took the cup. He blessed it. And He said, you know, this is the blood. Represents the blood of the new covenant. Now, I don't know if the disciples really understood what was meant by the new covenant because it was prophesied by Ezekiel and Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets, but they didn't really understand that because they were living under the old covenant of law. The new covenant is grace and truth. The old covenant is law and lies. They were living under that old covenant. So I'm not sure the disciples really understood what he meant when he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. But I know you understand. I know you understand what it meant because I've taught you over and over and over again what it meant. It means that you're under a covenant of grace with God because of the sacrifice of Christ represented by this cup of his blood. That night he also took bread. When he broke it, he said, this is my body which is being broken for you. Now this is a little different because he wasn't talking about a physical body that was going to hang on the cross. No, he's talking about a spiritual body. A spiritual body the Bible refers to as the church or the assembly of saints just like we are here today. Being broken for you meant it's going to be a local thing. You're not just going to go to one place and experience the reality of my body. You can do it everywhere. In fact, even broke it down to where two or three are gathered together. There am I also. And so the church, as it functions, is a marvelous things to behold in terms of the relationships. It's not a building. It's not a location. It's relationships among people with Jesus. Now together, that new covenant of grace and the opportunity to live it out in small groups locally gives us access into the full knowledge of God. And that's what we're symbolizing here today. That's what we're looking for today. We're looking for the full knowledge of God. Knowing Him personally and Him revealing Himself to us. So as I bless these elements, I want you to think about that. Father, we thank You for the blood of Your Son Jesus and His body. And we thank You for everything that You're accomplishing through that in our hearts and our minds here today. And we ask you to receive this under your glory, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you come and receive the elements, please? Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 